Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us very powerful words, words that he would want us to become countercultural people with. Matthew chapter 5, he says this in verses 43 through 44. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And when Jesus says this, he's essentially saying that part of the way that you grew up, many of the rabbinical teachers that are out there have taught you, treat people the way they treat you. If someone has any enmity or strife, give them that same energy back. If someone is loving and kind, you give them that same energy back. But essentially, what was taught then in the culture and from teachers is taught now. Treat people the way they treat you. And Jesus would go on to say that we were to be loving people. He says in Matthew 5, 43 through 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. What Jesus was saying is that the people of God were to be a distinct people, that as people are in this world giving us all types of enmity, all types of strife, all types of pain, that we would have a supernatural capacity to love people. And as a believer, as a Christian, God has given us that. And we are to be countercultural in that way. Friends, families, neighborhoods, communities have all been crushed because someone decided to keep the chain of hate going. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would preach on loving your enemies every year. It's amazing because of all the sermons that you hear about, we don't often hear about this one. I listened to two of the messages. It was some of the quietest messages I had heard. There was no call back, no call and response that Sunday. Part of the reason was he was calling them to love the very people that didn't dislike them, wanted to hurt and kill them. Wanted to love the police officer that had the dog biting them. Wanted to love the, the bus driver that told them to get into the back. Love the little girl that you serve their family, and that six-year-old girl treats you like you're a child. Love them. King would say that loving your enemy was a message he had to continue to preach. In fact, he would say that it was the foundation of his message, the foundation of his preaching, and essentially the foundation of the civil rights movement. What King was doing, if you look in this picture here, is he was saying that as an African-American man, you must see my value and you must see my worth. You cannot look at me and look at me as three-fifths of a person, or you cannot see me as lesser than human. Holding up signs saying, I am a man, essentially came from the theological belief that all people are made in God's image and therefore all people have worth and value. But King believed that if I believe I have worth and value, then so does that police officer. And I cannot apply that only to me, but it has to be two-toned. I must apply that to us. King would say, hate for hate never ends. The chain 
continues to grow. And that someone has to have the strength to break the yoke of enmity and strife in a community. And as a believer, God calls us to take the love of God that he has poured out on us and apply it wherever we are, thus setting the tone of our relationships. We therefore, having love, we align ourselves to it. We align ourselves to God's love. We do not align ourselves to the hatred, the strife, the anger, the resentment, the racism, the misogyny that may be coming from anywhere else. We set the tone. As believers, we set the tone. We set the tone for relationships. We set the tone with love. We talked last week, as we've entered into this series on radical love, we said that there were three buckets that we could basically put love into. We said reciprocal love. Reciprocal love is when you love that which is lovely. Those that already care for you. When you hear songs, music, things that warm your heart, you reciprocate that love. Then there is benevolent love. When I look low to the hurting, when I give compassionate to those that are broken, that would be benevolent love. The third type of love we said was radical love. And this is when we love the undeserving. For as it says in Matthew 5, where Jesus, again, said, if you love those who love you, what reward will be, would that be? He says, don't even the tax collectors do that. Everyone does that. And what has made Christianity, Christ's way, unique and different is that while on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That he loved tax collectors. That he loved the men abusing him. That's what made our faith unique. Now, we are going to jump into 1 Corinthians and talk about how this church got out of alignment with love. But before I do that, I think it's important that uh, we have like a family meeting. Amen? And I clarify what I mean by love and what I mean by loving those who are different from you, loving those who you may have strife with, and particularly loving those who may have uh, hatred for you. This past week, uh, Kanye West was on the Jimmy Kimmel show. And while on the show, uh, Kanye was asked, how is it that when you were under the Bush administration, you were very quick to call out George Bush about the things that he had done with black people, and particularly the way that he was unable to really uh, govern during the Katrina situation. And he would go on TV and say that George Bush doesn't care about black people. Jimmy Kimmel asked, well, if you felt that way about George Bush, why do you have such affection for Donald Trump? And what Kanye would say was, essentially, before, before he was asked that, Kanye was saying, we just need to love people. We, we got to stop all the hate in society. We, we just need to love. And if we just loved everybody, things would be better. 
And when Kimmel asked him that question, he couldn't think. He didn't answer. And the reason why is because in Kanye's belief system, love means I don't hold you accountable. Love means, love is the absence of tension. And yet, love is the very thing that Christ came and died for, and God says, God is love. The absence of tension is not the presence of love. In fact, love does not mean we totally agree. Love means I'm willing to work through the tensions and work through the disagreements. Love means I'm committed to you and I believe that you're a child of God and I love you. I I love you so much, I don't want you to stay that way. That's love. Love is not, let's not talk about it. Love is not, well, I'm getting my pockets lined and I'm, I'm getting more money from this individual. I'm, I'm being able to, you know, get my name out there because of this person. Love does not mean I'm, get, I'm just getting from someone. Love means I'm willing to sacrifice for this relationship and for the benefit of that individual. In addition to that, um, the week before that, uh, Pastor John Gray uh, had an opportunity to go to the White House And in going to the White House, he talked about prison reform. Now, I I highly respect John Gray as a communicator, as a thinker, as a leader. Uh, People think I'm John Gray all the time, praise God. So it's weird. I was at a conference one time. He was there. I was in the back, and this woman swore I was John Gray. I'm like, I'm not him. She's like, yes, you are. I'm like, I promise you I'm not. So, you know, I think he's a great guy. And my, my, the reason I bring this up isn't so much the fact that he went to the White House. What I found, what I find problematic is that when you have an opportunity, and some of you will have an opportunity to be in the room with power brokers, to be in the room with people of great skill, great insight, and great influence. And so, I think it is powerful to be able to go into that room. But I also think the thing that we have to keep in mind is that, yes, we need to talk about prison reform. We need to talk about mass incarceration. We need to talk about stop and frisk. We need to talk about bail reform. We need to talk about all of that. But while in the room, I found it problematic that one of the pastors in particular Daryl Scott, coming from Ohio, he calls himself Bishop Daryl Scott. I, I think you're a bishop if you have churches underneath you, so I don't know how that works, praise God. But he says he's a bishop. Well, he said in the, in the room, he said that President Trump was the most pro-black president that there has been. And all the other pastors began to just encourage, bless, and praise the president for all he's done, particularly in the black community. And no one gave a retort. No one responded to that statement. And I think that it is very careful if you're invited into a room. If you get to be at the table, just make sure you're at the table because people want your color. People want your culture, not just your color. Make sure that if you're in the room, that you're at the table, not on the menu. That if you're at the table, they want to hear what you have to say. So if you have to go into a room and there's all these preconditions where you can't hold anybody accountable, they don't want your voice, they want your face. That being said, 
If he was the most pro-black president, I think a question would be, how, let's think about how you treated the black president that we had and how you questioned whether or not he was from this country, saying the brother wasn't born in Hawaii, saying he was born in Kenya, and treating him as lesser than a person. He started his entire campaign on that. If he was pro-black, then we need to ask a question. We're a year from the time that Charlottesville happened when there were good people on both sides, and we've not heard any difference a year later. In fact, what we hear about are NFL players kneeling. If he was pro-black. If he was pro-black, I would love to hear more about how much he cares about those countries he called S-hole countries if he was pro-black. But some would say, hey, it's good just to be in the room. So chill. Well, that's fine. Praise God you're in the room. But why am I in the room? You have to ask yourself that question. If a pastor's in the room and is dealing with prison reform, why aren't people who deal with prison reform every day in the room? Where is Michelle Alexander who wrote the book, The New Jim Crow? Where is Brian Stevenson, who wrote the book, Just Mercy? Where is Ta-Nehisi Coates, who wrote the book, Between the World and Me? But you may say, well, you know, maybe they didn't pick up the phone. But there are other pastors who constantly talk about prison reform. William Barber, Cynthia Hale. These people talk about prison reform all the time. Brothers and sisters, if you are in the room and you are with someone you have enmity and strife with, pretending there is peace when there is strife is not love. Holding someone accountable for their statements that they make, you cannot say you love, care, and want to help black people, but at the same time, we're seeing an increase of racial strife like we've never seen before. We're seeing more hate crimes than we've ever seen before. And if there was a KKK to endorse me, I would be very clear I don't endorse them. And we haven't seen this from this president. So it's problematic to be able to say, Love means we don't talk about it. No, love means we talk about it. And we talk about it in detail. Love means I may not even like you, but I still love you when I press into our relationship. Last week, we, uh, man, we had a, uh, we talked about a radical love challenge. And because I want to be a person of integrity, praise the Lord, uh, I did my radical love challenge. Now, the person I did it with um, was my doorman. My doorman, uh, when I first got into the apartment, we had a really good conversation. We talked about sports. We talked about life. We talked about all this stuff. But then all of a sudden, we started talking about politics. And I didn't even bring it up. He says, you're a pastor? I was like, I am. He says, you must love Trump. I was like, I don't. Um, but... Praise God, you know what I mean? It's cool. Talk about something else, we talk about something else. And then every time I would see him, he would bring up politics. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the talkative type. So I have no problem bringing that up too and talking through things. And, 
you know, there was one day when we got into a conversation about assimilation, and he said, you know, people shouldn't call themselves black. They should just say they're American. You know, I'm American. And I, I mean, and at this point, you know, when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm talking faster and I feel spit coming out my mouth, I'm like, I need to chill because I'm getting upset, and I just need to get out of this conversation. So, so I decided, I decided, like, I do not talk to you. I can't deal. Like, I feel myself. And so for a year, we just had this thing, like this, like, um, it was kind of like this cordial frustration, like, you know, like, hey, hey, but I, you know, I don't like you. You know I don't like you. I know you don't like me. And we just had this beef going, this, this tension going. And I would see him every day. So the Lord put on my heart to do this challenge. And I'm praying. And I'm like, Lord, who is it you want me to love? Benevolent love? Radical love? What do you want? And the Lord brought him to my attention. I was like, oh, benevolent love, somebody, Lord, somebody other than him. I just can't, because I do not want to deal with this cat. So, Tuesday, I'm like, I got to do it. I'm going to do it. I was prayed up that morning. I mean, I'm talking like laid out before the Lord, like, you've got to bless me because I don't like him. You just got to do something awesome. I go downstairs. See my doorman. Like, what's up? He's like, hey. I'm like, hey. He's like, hey. I'm like, what's up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boy, boys, how's weather is crazy. I was like, what do I talk about? And I'm just praying. I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm like, God, you just got to give me oh, so many things in my head I want to say. But I'm like, uh. I say, hey. Man, my church is doing this thing where we just bless people. I want to bless you. He was like, no, just pray for me. I was like, no, I want to bless you. I want to, I want to, do you have breakfast? He was like, yeah. I was like, lunch. You need lunch. I'm going to buy you lunch. He's like, no, I'm cutting back. I don't want lunch. I was like, oh, Lord. Okay, Lord, this is how it's going to be. All right, Jesus. So I was like, so we we go, so we're getting into an argument about how to bless him. It's crazy. So... (laughs) Where it just go back and forth, back and forth. And finally, I was just like, man, look, um, there's this place, Sunset Bagel. They got great bagels. How about I get you a bagel? He was like, ah, if you want. I was like, great. Go upstairs. I'm ordering the bagel. Now, and I'm talking, I'm praying over a bagel. I'm like, Lord, egg bagel, cinnamon raisin, what do you want, God? What kind of cream cheese, Jesus? Like, I was just praying over this thing. Praying, right? (laughs) So, the radical love challenge was use $20 to bless someone where there may be tension and strife. A bagel is like $3. I bought this brother seven bagels. I promise you, I was like, number of completion. God, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen, Lord. You're going to overwhelm us. So I order the bagels. 15 minutes later, the bagels come. Come up to my apartment. I go downstairs. I'm like, what up, man? Hey, you. Aha. Bagels. You know what I'm saying? That's for you. And he was like, wow, thank you so much. I was like, you're welcome. And then I mean, it was crazy. He took my hand, pulled me close, and said, man, I, I love you. And that didn't happen. Praise God. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I know. Wouldn't that have been awesome? Wouldn't that have been awesome? That would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. No, that didn't happen at all. It was still awkward. It was still weird. Like, it was still like, I was like, yo, the bagels. He was like, eggs. I was like, egg bagel, you know, because the egg bagel's like, egg. You know, I didn't know what to say. 
And I went back upstairs. But here's what I realized, that after I did that, I came back downstairs and I would see him and I noticed that he still was awkward, but I was free. I wasn't holding the same tension anymore. Martin Luther King said, I'm going to stick to love because hate is too great a burden to bear. And as far as it is from me, I'm not going to hold enmity. I'm not going to hold strife. I'm going to add you. And see, notice what it said earlier in Matthew 5, love your enemy, pray for them. And the key was adding those who I have enmity and strife with to my prayer list and asking God ways that I could bless them. And I was radically free. You see, when we love people, we think it's just for the person. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it is that you could be just drenched in the love of God and you could see people in a different way. And so what we are going to do uh, at the end of this service is that we are going to take an opportunity and we are going to have different lines here. We're going to have $10 right here and we're going to have $20 right here. $10, if you see somebody and there's benevolent love, someone that you may see on your job who's struggling financially, there may be people on your job who you think, man, I wonder if they need lunch. Or there may be somebody you see all the time in the subway that you see always asking for money, and you give that person money. You have a conversation with them. But we also have $20 for radical love. And we're not in any way saying that one type of love is better than another type of love, but we are saying one is a level of sacrifice. And that $20 for some of you, you are going to go and you're going to talk to people you haven't talked to in a while. For some of you, you may need to talk to your roommate. And you may say, listen, that radical love challenge is for me and you because we have some radical tension that we need to work through. Others of you may call a friend that you haven't talked to in a while and you say, I have a gift card for you. But what we're going to ask that you do is after we take these envelopes in the service here, um, we ask that you go onto our Facebook community page. So you would search Bridge Church NYC Community. If you're not a part of our community page, ask to be a part of it. And we ask that you would actually post what you did with the money. Post what you did with the money. And, you know, some of you may say to yourself, man, I don't, I don't have anybody I got beef with. That's awesome. I wish I was you. Or you might say, man, I don't, I don't know what to do. Well, you know, Romans 13 and 8 says this. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. What if you were walking around all week thinking, what can I do to bless somebody? Just looking for someone to bless. I believe God is going to open up a door for you to bless someone. And it is going to not only be an encouragement to them, but it's going to bring confidence to you and your love of God. Now, this is a test. Oh, this is a test. Some of you are sitting here thinking, man, I can't wait. Some of you are thinking, man, I'm just not even going to walk up to that line. And I encourage you, fight through your fears, come get the cash, and use it for God's glory. Amen? Amen. Now, we're going to do that at the end of service. But we thought it was appropriate that we talk about this issue because there's something within us that needs to always have leverage on people. 
where we need to create distinction amongst other people. There's a, there's a, a wide tension inside of us that could cause us to feel like we are elite and people are lesser than. And Paul the Apostle would deal with this in the book of 1 Corinthians. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to address how we can create hierarchy even in the church. And it happens, all types of divisions are happening out there in the world, yes. But they can happen in the church too. Paul started the Corinthian church in A.D. 50. He preached there for three years, and then in A.D. 53, he left. He went on another missionary journey to Ephesus. But after Paul was there for three years, another brother came in after him. His name was Apollos, and Apollos could preach. And here's the thing. Paul couldn't. Paul wasn't a good preacher. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11, now I consider myself in no way inferior to those super apostles. Even if I am untrained in public speaking, I'm certainly not untrained in knowledge. What Paul was saying is I'm really not a good communicator. Like I can't put it together that well. Like I'm really not that articulate at all. And the problem was the Corinthian culture had above it Roman and Greek culture, and Roman and Greek culture loved philosophy. They loved eloquence. They loved people that could speak with charisma and insight. But for three years, the church just had old Paul. Paul was knowledgeable. You know, he just kind of went on tangents. And people were like, go ahead, Paul. We love us some Paul. It don't make no sense, but he loves God. But after three years a guy named Apollos came. It says of Apollos in Acts chapter 18, now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures. Mighty in the scriptures. Able to unpack the text. This man, verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching the thing, teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Notice what it says there. He's mighty in the scriptures. He's able to put together thoughts, but he's also fervent in spirit, meaning he had charisma. He had passion. People were able to follow along. And guess what happened? After three years of listening to born old Paul, Apollos came in and they were like, this boy can preach. Yeah, look at, look, at, look at him, look at him go. That boy can go. And you won't believe this, but a division started. A division around preachers. And there were factions and divisions in the church. And people saw themselves greater and other people lesser. And Paul would write to this issue. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction, for it's been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there's a rivalry among you. Now, Chloe 
was a woman who was most likely a traveling, she probably sold purple or there, there were other things that people would sell that would cause them to travel around the region. Chloe most likely was a person that was spending time in Ephesus while she traveled. While there, Paul asked, how are things going in Corinth? And Chloe told him. Now, I, I do want to just make mention that the reason why Chloe told Paul this very troubling subject is because Paul was going to do something about it. And the difference between just tailbearing and sharing gossip is not when you tell people things for entertainment, but tell th people things for edification because you believe they're going to change something. They're going to pray through it. They're going to do something about it. And that's why Chloe told him. And that's why Paul wrote. Paul needed to know the information. I'll amen myself. Praise the Lord. But what's important is what he says next. Verse 12. What I am saying is this. There's divisions in this church. There are people creating factions in this church, and I'm going to name them. And so he started naming names. He says, some of you are saying, I belong to Paul. Some of y'all are saying, I belong to Apollos. Some of you guys are saying, I belong to Cephas. And some of y'all are saying, I belong to Christ. And the same divisions and tensions that are in the world, we're in the church. And the love that people thought they were going to get when they walked into the room, they didn't get. But they saw the same kind of hierarchy, the same kind of divisions they saw in the world. And Paul said, that can't be. When the people were saying, I belong to Paul, these were people that were loyal to Paul. Notice what they're doing, though. They didn't, he's not saying there are people who just say, I think Paul's a good guy, but I don't want to get into tension. They've actually created a group within the church based upon their loyalty to a preacher. And they're creating distinction with other, from other people because they're loyal to Paul. And then the other group, the Apollos group, they've decided that, man, this guy Apollos, he's such a dynamic communicator. He sounds just like the guys, the philosophers, man. He's just like, oh man, Aristotle and Plato, those dynamic thinkers and teachers, he's on par with them. And so I find my identity in him. And the problem wasn't that they preferred a style of teaching. The problem was is that they found their identity in the teacher. And then this unique group, the Cephas group. Now, Cephas is another name for Peter, who is an apostle. <coughs> and Peter was in Jerusalem, way yonder. And they, of our knowledge, <clears throat> Peter never went to Corinth. But somehow, Peter is a person that people have created an allegiance with. So much so that they would say, I am of P. 
Peter. Isn't that wild? They've had zero human contact with Peter. But they're saying, I am of Cephas. That's weird. But you know, oftentimes there will be communicators and leaders that we find so powerful that we can find their identity with them even though we have no connection to them and no relation to them. Praise the Lord. Like, I, I, I know, I was talking to this girl one time, and she was like, man, getting ready to go to church. I was like, praise the Lord. And then she walked into her room. <laughs> and I was like, man. And this is when I used to work at LIU uh, College, and she came out, and I was like, did you go to church? She was like, mm-hmm, it was great. Just felt blessed, highly favored, just feel like God's blessing on my life. And I was like, so, I'm sorry, you, you're watching this preacher. Now, let me just pause and reflect and just say this. There are communicators, thinkers, and teachers, both men and women, that are, that are dynamic that we should listen to. We should also read people way outside of this church. Don't get it twisted. Not only because what they have to say is good, but we need healthy perspective, and they're just dynamic in ways that I or none of our other teachers could be. Praise God for that. But I asked her, so later I was like, so you consider that going to church? She was like, "Mm mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, because I didn't want to be disrespectful, I thought to myself, when when she puts on Netflix, does she consider that going to the movies? Because it's the same concept, right? Like, you didn't go anywhere, but you watched something. And I thought to myself, oh, We believe that if there's someone who's that amazing, that in essence, we just follow them to the point that we subtract other leadership in our lives. Man, that's problematic. Well, that's what was happening in this church too. And then, you won't believe this, but there was a group that sounds like they're good, but they're really bad. And that was the I am of Jesus group. Doesn't it sound good to be I am of Jesus? But the I am of Jesus group was doing the same thing. Notice that if you were to read later in the text, Paul never says which group is right. Also, it wasn't like Cephas had beef with Apollos and Apollos had beef with, you know, Paul. Like, they didn't have an issue with themselves. The problem was people were dividing themselves and they even used the name of Jesus to create division. Yeah, it's crazy. Now this I am of Jesus tribe, they're a unique bunch. You know the I am of Jesus people. You go out for drinks, they're like, I don't, I don't, I don't drink. I like to be filled with the spirit. I like to be filled up with God. I don't want, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, they're they're the people that they believe their godliness has created leverage on you. And they believe, and, and because they know some things or have done some things or have been some places, they believe that they have a higher righteousness. The I am of Jesus bunch. And you know, what does that teach us, church? What is, why, why are we looking at this? What does that teach us? 
The human condition will use anything to gain leverage on other people. The human condition longs to be elite. It is not just money. It is not just race. It is not just power. It is not just education or culture. We will use anything and everything, even the name of Jesus, to feel better than somebody. And the reason why we long to be elite is because we are afraid of equality. You see, being made in the image of God, just being a child of God isn't enough. Attaching my identity to being God's child is good. But seeing myself as wealthy would be great. Seeing myself as powerful would be great. This is not about politics. This is not about race as much as it is. We all have this within us. And yes, Politics and and race, of course, come into play, as I stated before. But the same things that are in the oppressor are inside the oppressed. And that is that even the oppressed can look down on their oppressor. Even those, and that's why Martin Luther King said, I've got to see this man in the image of God. This one arresting me, I've got to see your value. I've got to see your worth. I've got to see dignity in you, even though you hate me. Because we're equal. We're equal. We are the same. And I refuse to see you. I I refuse to demean you or to degrade you. I see us as equal. The book of James captures the same idea. He says in James 2, For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes, and they come in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in the good place, and you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And he would go on to say in James chapter 2, these are the same people that are hurting and oppressing you. They created a VIP section in church. But don't we do the same things? Where we can create cliques and factions and tensions because we want to feel better than somebody. And we keep keep that conversation going about that person because we want to feel better than somebody. We keep the rivalry going because we want to feel better than somebody. And you know, there's a difference between being elite and honor. You see, honor is when you look at someone, you say, hey, that was great what you do. What you do is amazing. But honor means I lift you up. It doesn't mean I take other people down. And elitism means I need a superior and an inferior. And we need to cut this cancer out of our souls as a church and as the kingdom of God in general. We've got to see people on an even plane and believe and believe that I owe you love. That, yes, I have been made in the image of God, 
I am flawed. You have been made in the image of God. You are flawed. I owe you love. I owe you patience. I owe you kindness. That's what it says in Romans 13. Don't, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. When I um, told this story a little while, while back, <laughs> I, um, I am James C. Roberson III, praise God, and my dad is James C. Roberson Jr., My dad started working for IBM in 1968. He started flying planes in the 1970s. My dad's miles are out of this world. And so whenever my dad gets a chance to go on a plane, they upgrade him to first class. It's awesome. And one day the computer mistook me for my dad. And believe you me, I ain't never ridden first class. Yo, first class is different. I didn't know this. Like I saw it, I always saw it from afar, but I had never experienced it. Yo, it's lit. Like everything is for you. Like they come to you, they talk, they knew my name. Well, they knew my dad's name, but regardless, don't get caught up in this story. But I'm sitting there and they're like, hey, hey, Mr. Roberson, how are you? I'm like, what's up? They, they want, do you want orange juice? What kind of food do you want? And they had a menu. You see in the, you know, in the coach, you just get like nuts and seltzer or whatever you get. They like had a menu. I had like, I had like really good orange juice, the pulp. And like I had this whole meal and I was like, okay. And then, you know, it was dope. The woman was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And like all the people boarded and then she got done. And then like the people were behind me and I'm just sitting there like, wow, I used to sit back there. That's crazy. And then she was like, she did the thing with the curtain where it's like, you're special. Like I was like, word, word. We had like our own bathroom. It was so amazing. And I just thought for a second, I was like, man, we do this everywhere in society. Even on planes, there's a couch. There's, you know, the, what do you call it? Comfort? What do you call it? When you're in the back, there's the back and the front. You know, first class? Man, I was like, this is amazing. We do this everywhere. And I was amazed at how in the first class, they treat you with so much more dignity. They treat you with so much more honor. And I think... I think we do that amongst ourselves where we create a first class and we create a coach. We create a a section where people are treated differently. Maybe because they don't line up with what we believe or they don't line up with how we feel or maybe we have tensions and strife with them. But God has called us to treat people based upon the fact that they have inherent worth and value and like they're first class people. And tonight, some of us need to just rearrange the way that we see people, rearrange the way that we talk about people. And we are gonna have these money lines here. Oh yes. And I I sense in the room that there are people who, I don't know, they may feel that they can't do this I believe God has made you to be a loving person. And I believe God has set someone up for you 
this week to run into and bless. I'm not asking you to take a risk. I'm asking you to step out on faith. I wonder if you'd stand with me. Here will be a $10 line and here will be a $20 line and we are gonna come down these rows and we're gonna take $10 or $20. $10 would be for that benevolent love and $20 would be for radical love. And we ask that tonight, you would already have someone you're thinking and praying about. And we're gonna begin to minister and we're gonna pray over these envelopes. And one of you, it's going to have a, an envelope with $100 in it. And we believe that God has chosen you to bless someone. And some of you are going to break the yoke of tension. You're going to break the yoke of strife. And some of you are going to grow up in ways you haven't grown up. Some of our immaturity is not based upon the fact that we don't know enough. Some of our immaturity is based upon the fact that we have been withholding love, the very love God has made us for. And so we're gonna come down these aisles. Let me pray. Gracious God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, set the atmosphere, God. Set the atmosphere, God. Bring people to my mind. Bring people to my heart. Show me who you have assigned me to, God. Show me who you have assigned me to, God, to bless. Show me who you have assigned me to bless, God. And as we come get these envelopes, God, I pray we would walk with courage. I pray that we would walk with an understanding that you are going to open doors that we could not open on our own. In Jesus' name.